uh, letter to Hermione. <laughs> it's a a picture from beauty and the beast it's a picture of emma watson from beauty and the beast and that's Uh, that's kind of all i have on that um um, yeah it's a sweet song and yeah yeah, Eric, please continue. I have I have thoughts, but they're very biased and very strange. Oh my! Oh, now I'm interested in the biased thoughts. Like it, <laughs> I, just taking it at face value, it's it's it is what it is. It is a song about a, a at least the way it presents to me and finding out that there is a real Hermione. Then it's um it's somebody who lost somebody and now he she's with somebody else and he's saying I'm I'm not okay with this, but I'm okay with this. Yeah, and we had a great time. And I am writing a song that is a nice song. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So I, um, the timing of this, of my listening to this album for the very first time, because um, when I listened to, when I intentionally listened to Bowie's entire catalog, I didn't go in order. It was just like, I'm interested in that. I want some of that over here. I think I know what that is. I'm going to take that. Mm-hmm. And so towards the end, I think the last ones that I listened to in full were pinups, this one, and probably Lodger, I think, something around there. And um, I just happened to <laughs> listen to this album the very first time, like the day after one of those relationships ended for me mm. or something close to it so like i have this weird <laughs> dumb emotional connection to this song that is like nostalgic and super embarrassing at the same time or it's like oh, what a, i'm such an idiot and, and that's that's <laughs> that's one of the things about that relationship i think for everybody is there is a little bit of that feeling of like what the fuck was i thinking <laughs> Well, yeah, and that's that's why songs like this work. It's because we've all been there. Hopefully, right. you've all been there. It's it's a pivotal moment in in a young person's life to fall head over heels for somebody and then go, "Oh, that didn't work." Yeah, and 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 oh my god, I'm so glad it didn't work because well, yeah, holy especially crap. later, you're like, Ooh. "Oh, I uh, met up with her in college," and no, <laughs> and not to say like, and not because like, I, I, I. I mean, look, we've all been there. And I think that that's, that's sort of the feeling that I have now about this track. Like, I guess what I'm trying to say is when I first listened to it, I was so deep in the feels. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's, that's so true. I totally get it. Yeah. Um, but then like, it, it's, it's, it's just, we've all, we've all been there, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not not wishing everyone, you know, trauma, but still, it's it's a trauma we all we all generally share. Most of us share. And I think it's a trauma that makes us all more complete people, better people, uh, more able to actually feel a more advanced adult version of what it is that we are feeling that we think we're feeling in the middle of that relationship but we're Mm -hmm. really kind of not yeah 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 fair okay and now word from our sponsors uh single writers (laughs) 
no, never mind. Uh, <laughs> I thought we were done with that. <laughs> no, I, I want to be. Um, we, we can be. I will, uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens in the chat on that. Um, so signet committee, uh, Eric, what are you thinking? Oh, I was not expecting a 10 minute song. <laughs> I'm like, oh, this is still the same song. Okay. Yep. Um, yeah, uh, dude who has loved and lost. Okay. We're, we're getting a theme here. <laughs> um, but the song takes some turns, uh, multiple times through it, um, in its, in its tone, um, in its tempo. I, I, I love the, <laughs> I love the lyrics. We let him use a, we let him use our powers now. Now we are strong. I'm like, oh, there's some drugs here. Yeah. <laughs> and again, this doesn't go into a weird place at all. It's everything's gonna be fine. Right. <laughs> well, healthy. This is a healthy relationship yeah. with a wizard man. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. When you take somebody who's fascinated by, you know, uh the Ubermensch philosophy <laughs> of <laughs> Nietzsche okay. and you know sprinkle some cocaine on that. There's no, nothing can go wrong. <laughs> yeah. I mean at the end this poor guy just wants to live. That's all. Yeah. Um I, I do love the like the way the organ is going berserk at the end. Like leading yeah. up before it gets to that militant dunk 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 at the end. Like the organ is just he's just going for it. But um yeah, at the end, it sounds like uh, it sounds like Bowie's like falling apart. Yeah, yeah, he's, yeah. He, he, like if this what I don't know what he yeah if, if he, I don't think he could have gone any further with this song. <laughs> I don't think he could not, have sung "Live One More Time." Right, not without Mick Ronson, by the way. At least he <laughs> <laughs> was the guitarist from the next album, okay. uh, which just a, a view. A, uh, under the hood we have eric has listened to both albums but and i i'm bringing that up only because i i really feel like this track is like um almost the prototype for the entire next album huh okay like at least thematically where it's just like hey what if we what if we make everything epic and fucked up <laughs> yeah and that is kind of everything i mean on the next on man who sold the world that's yeah yeah although the man who sold the world sounds more it sounds more haphazard it yeah. sounds you know, there it, are reasons for that okay I'm, I'm sure that uh, yeah i'm interested in learning more about that because my my take was like okay some of this is really interesting but a lot of it uh, i'm sorry to invoke your your second favorite band dan but a lot of it sounds like like helter skelter Mm. Where it's like we're experimenting with these electric guitars and our different pedals that we can so, use now and tape effects. So Charles Manson, yeah, <laughs> the Beach Boys. Okay, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, looking at the, uh, the 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 people behind the the, the music, uh, you know, so you, any names there? That's that Rick Wakeman. Are you familiar with Mister Rick Wakeman? Oh, the name's familiar. Um, yes. That's the band he was in. Yes. Oh, oh, <laughs> that's why. Now, now I get it. <laughs> so yep. this was because yes came after. When was when was yes yes was? So this is before yes. This is before yes. Okay. This was uh, asking the question, and then 
Someone said yes. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> it's also the end of side one, uh, which is sometimes important. I think in this case, closing the album uh, in this way is certainly a statement. Yeah, uh, definitely. It, it's, it's definitely, it gives you stuff to think about as you, you know, as you walk over and flip over that walk over vinyl pantsless and, you know, oh, here we go. Oh, I, I, I guess we, I guess we are failing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this, and I think this is, this is also like what saves. I don't like the hippie aesthetic at all. Um, and what I find really endearing about Bowie's take on the hippie aesthetic is that he doesn't really like them either. <laughs> he's he's, he's kind of like no, that starts to click, yeah, because yeah, yeah it, it really at the end he's like, We what are we doing? <laughs> are we doing anything? Yeah, it's like, and I think that that his take on it was really like okay, cool. I really like this idea of we're going to do this idealistic thing and everybody's going to understand what that means. And we're all really going to like actually follow through with this and we're going to like support each other and form these arts collectives and all that stuff. And that, Oh my God, it's the dream come true. And then all of a sudden it's just like an aesthetic. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, Oh, so we're not doing it. Okay. (laughs) Oh, so it's just drugs and sitting around. Okay. Right. So, oh, oh, you just, okay. I got it. Okay. Got it. Well, let me know when you're ready to peel the roaches off yourself and we can do something. Uh, let's see. Yeah, frustration. Are, yep. That's kind of what I said. He condemned capitalists who soured the optimism of the 1960s and highlighted the hypocrisy and intolerance within both counterculture and the establishment. Yep. And. <laughs> Anyone who is familiar with the current left movement in uh, America, nothing changes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Did you notice that the end, there was a Bolero kind of thing? I don't need to play the clip. Do you want to see the clip? It's been a while. Let's see the clip. Yeah, let's go for it. Yeah. Yeah. This clip is 18 minutes and 14 seconds. Eric, how long do you think I listened to this when I discovered it? (laughs) I think you made it all the way. 15 minutes. Oh, okay. That's pretty good. And I was like, nope. (laughs) (laughs) It's like riding the train at Disneyland or I think, do they let you stay on at Disney World the whole time? Like, like Um... continuously? I haven't been there when it's been open because for the last few oh, years they've been right. working on Tron, so it's been closed. I I can't remember. Probably uh, I don't think I've ever. Yeah, it, but it's been a long time since I was on the train there. I don't know how they would manage that, but I I think so. At Disneyland, you can write, you can stay on the train over and over again, and I've learned that the third time around, <laughs> it's like. I think I'm done. (laughs) This is not. I don't need to see that dinosaur again. (laughs) This is becoming work now. Um, (laughs) 
So yeah, it's got a Bolero thing at the end. I don't know what that means. No, I didn't actually yeah. make these slides. Uh, I did. Anyway, so uh, yeah, we covered that. I think side two happens. Uh, Janine. The <laughs> <laughs> picture of a woman in a smart business suit. <laughs> it sure looks like a Janine to me. It sure does look like a Janine. <laughs> She's ready, to, she's ready to sell us real estate. <laughs> Jenny, I'll, I'll buy it. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, uh, I, I don't know. I, I feel like I, I might, might be like blowing over you a little bit. What do you think? It's a regular song. There's no, I have right. almost no notes on it. It's just a regular, a regular song. And oh, look, there we go. You've got a note. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Inspired by George Underwood's former girlfriend. Yes, is her name was her name Janine. It was. It was Janine. Oh, okay. And and in some of the some of the stuff I found, George Underwood says something like, "This is a really complicated way for someone to tell me that they don't like my girlfriend." <laughs> <laughs> like you could have just said something. <laughs> uh, so. I I think what I what I'm coming around to is that this song and again it could be dead wrong but based on the sources I'm looking at this song is sort of how Bowie felt that he would feel being in that relationship and I think it's probably something that isn't intended to be super deep like this isn't like a letter to Hermione thing where it's like I really need this feeling to be put out there i think it's more just like i'm working on this album uh i need some generative ideas to come up with a song why not do this yeah you know i've got a bouncy little beat here why not write about my friend's girlfriend <laughs> i love it he was that to colligate <laughs> you can like see the air quotes <laughs> he's he's not fond of this person <laughs> um slides Slides continue. Oh, yeah, he was 22. That's my note. Uh, also incorporated the kalimba. We don't need to learn about the kalimba. Unless, Eric, do you want to learn about the kalimba? Do you want me to learn about the kalimba? Because you've, you've got a link right there. I mean, if you put it that way. <laughs> We're going to Oh, we, yeah, we can actually learn Oh, that's a kalimba. kalimba. Okay. Yeah, I've seen that. The kalimba is an instrument that you find all over Africa, and it has various playing techniques. It has various sounds. Some are small, some are large, some are medium. And the- to take the visual part out of it, he is holding what you have probably seen out there in the world as a like a thumb piano kind of thing. Uh, yeah, anyway. a board with some some straps and a bunch of nails, basically. Yeah, I wanted to keep this in because he actually does explain like what, like not just what it is like as an instrument, but why it's important. The sound depends on the size. It depends on the wood. It depends on the times. Now, this is the kalimba that we play in Uganda. And the kalimba in Uganda comes from the eastern region, played a lot by the nomadic tribes. These are tribes that graze cattle. And they play the music every day, every night. Music is part of their lifestyle. This is how they live. And when they move from one area to another, they can't take anything with them. They only take their instruments and their music. 
And through music, that's how they keep their culture alive everywhere they go. So their culture is traced back and back and back and back many generations with the songs and the music they play. My technique and approach on the kalimba is a little bit different. I mix the traditional style and my own style, which I have developed over the years. The style of keeping a very simple melody, very simple melody, and then adding a lot of stuff to that, but you still hear the melody. You still hear it. I'm going to show you that in a minute. So this is my melody. the time and realize that we should get through this oh, yeah. um, why did four people downvote that what video there are four people that gave that video a thumbs down uh, come on people you want to take a guess <laughs> I, no. I, I i don't want to know i think i know <laughs> <laughs> it was janine <laughs> uh, yeah, it was her. It's like i don't like this but buy my real estate for me by the way i don't like this um next we have an occasional dream guess what it's another hermione jam mm-hmm. uh, here she oh, comes. Oh, <laughs> <there she> is. <laughs> <laughs> i forgot i did that uh i don't know i mean do you have anything that i know you like the recorder a lot no oh, i love the recorder does it um yeah because it's got it, like jethro tell has a few like British pastoral sort of songs that they mix in with all of their harder rock and it has that feeling to it. Does it remind you of, um, uh, of Paul's, uh, boodly boo sort of songs? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, is that, is that kind of like the, the feeling where it's like, why is he doing this old stuff? Come on. Um, <laughs> uh, sometimes I think there are, I think the the places that, it's not so much a boodly boo thing as it is like a, I don't know how to explain this. There, a part of the, the meat, the hippie media that was happening around, sorry, the dirty hippie, hippie media that was being produced around that time was very like presentationally um, out there. I don't know if that makes sense or where they, it's almost like they, they go like, Ooh, looky, uh, look how trippy it is, you know? Um, and I get that feeling a little, I get a little cringy from the time, like that moment <laughs> right. where I'm just like, okay, I get it. Stop. That's too much. But I mean, again, he was 22 and I, it's, it's like, yeah, I guess it, yeah, that makes sense. It's part of the, the style at the time, these things, th- this type of, Music is happening, but he's in. He's doing his own take on it. I, I yeah, I, I think taking into consideration that this is basically his first album. I mean, 
the we talked about that before um I can forgive a lot of things, but there are a lot of things to forgive that I'm listening to. I'm like, because I know where this goes, I can put up with it. <laughs> okay. But yeah, I guess there's some boodily. There's a little bit of boodily going okay, on. Okay. Yeah. Well, mamas um, and papas type, uh, harmonies, maybe. I think I, yeah. And I, but I think, I think what saves me from a lot of it is that I don't, I haven't, I haven't gone down those pathways very much. Mm hmm. Mainly because every time I dip my toe into it, I'm like, ooh, no, thank you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I agree that uh, Jethro Toll, uh, he was very good at using flutes and recording. Yes, he was. He was a great flautist. <laughs> I've been waiting to make that joke for like a week. Uh, <laughs> so just as a note, Tony Visconti uh, really enjoyed Letter. He he f- was very proud of the production on Letter Hermione and An Occasional Dream. What I mean so, was, he's, he's still alive. So um, two, two songs about the same lady. Yeah, well, I think it was more like uh, he's, he's recognized that he was limited in experience and resources, but he was able to take these two songs that really could have been, I mean, let's face it, complete dog shit mm-hmm. um, and made them, you know, charming. Okay. Yeah. It, 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 I, I would take the word charming for both songs. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, wild eyed boy from free cloud. <laughs> now we're getting into some boodily places for me. All uh, right. <laughs> I like the orchestration. I really like the orchestration. It, it, yeah. it works really well with this and makes it kind it, it makes it epic and you've got. <laughs> I don't know what anime or that's I I typed in Wild Eyed Boy from Free Cloud uh fan art and that's why I got Oh. Oh okay, great. Um but yeah, it, it's a little manga image but uh it, it has it does have that epic feeling to it because of the orchestration and he's right there in the middle of things like going to town with his acoustic. Um I yeah, I really like it. I don't know what free free cloud is. I don't know what this song's about. I don't think he does. <laughs> um, um I, I I I I'm with you on the orchestration, and I think the video that we watched of Tony Visconti talking about that really helped me this time around get there. Mm-hmm. Because to me, and this is still true to some extent, I, I I have a better appreciation for the instrumentation and that it's just kind of like it's needlessly big to be needlessly big, which makes it needfully big, I guess. Um, <laughs> and, and it's almost like if someone took like the most half baked uh, poetry from like a 16 year old who just watched like Donnie Darko or something <laughs> and, and He's developing said, his, these grand yeah, illusions. It, Right. And they were like, you know what? We're going to put a full orchestra behind this. <laughs> <laughs> Which... And then he kissed the girl from math class. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 And she touched his wiener and he's. <laughs> <laughs> and he got in his rocket to the moon. 
<laughs> totally. <laughs> and then his math teacher had an accident on the way to class. <laughs> And all and their finals were canceled. The <laughs> <laughs> and his new mom was cool. And <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> Asher, get out of my brain. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, we got that. Uh, so a uh, one fun thing I found is, and this is so fitting with a lot of Bowie stuff, uh, as we talked about. Visconti brought in a huge orchestra and 50 piece. It sounds it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Holy cow. They rehearsed it. Of course. Yeah. I, and I'm just really impressed that Visconti was like, I see something in this. And I think that that that's, that's sort of the legacy there with him is it's just like, okay, I know that's stupid in someone else's hands, but in my hands, this is going to be awesome. Not space um, oddity. That garbage can go to right, hell. Right, right. And that's the irony <laughs> of it. Um, but I don't think he's entirely wrong about, at least at least at that point in time, looking at it and going like, eh, really? <laughs> <laughs> um, so rehearsal started at 10 a.m. And recording was completed in a single take before the session's 1 p.m. <laughs> oh, wow. Which is very Bowie. Because <laughs> he would be bored. <laughs> be like, nope. <laughs> Puts down the guitar and just leaves. <laughs> Done. <laughs> Somebody get that. <laughs> uh, and then uh, Mick Ronson, who later became a member member of Bowie's band Spiders from Mars, contributed guitar and hand claps to the session, marking his first collaboration mm. with Bowie. Uh, yeah. and soon he'd be wearing s- splashy pants. Very soon. Here's some fan fiction I found for a while. I oh, good. Um, <laughs> I guess what I'm trying to point out in this moment right now is you need to be prepared for this person, <laughs> Bowie, is possibly the most neurodivergent musician working at the time. And he develops a fan base. <laughs> and this fan base. He finds his people. He finds... They find him. He finds this is this. I'm not going to read any of this, but this fan fiction is about the wild eyed boy from free cloud hmm. getting visited by Jareth from labyrinth <laughs> from Lab- Okay. It's, it, it's going to get weird. <laughs> <Come on. laughs> All, right. All right. So this slide is, it's really it's sloppy. So we're just ready uh so we got god knows i'm good i don't know if we need to go into depth there that is it a song about a poor lady who tries to steal something and she hopes she's not going to be judged but then they catch her i suspect it's a song about uh hey david we need it uh we need about three minutes to, to fit on the album and he was like, oh, yeah, I just saw this happen yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But and then he he accidentally created a song that Momus could have very easily made in his first album. There you go. Um, what's a cash machine in 1969? He references a cash machine. I'm pretty sure there were cash machine machines. At ATMs? Oh, okay. I don't know. But here, let's see. Yeah. I don't know what your timeline I didn't, is like. I didn't so. bother to look it up. <laughs> yeah. Got, well, that can be about an hour. Yeah, oh, okay, so here, let's see. Um, let's look it up. 
cash machine. Maybe it's a, because I think if it oh, was no. a, oh no, oh no, oh no, <laughs> Shh. back look. to free cloud. Don't look. <laughs> oh no, the diamond dogs. History of ATM, not the dirty kind. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you specified because with your search history, <laughs> I usually use another profile for that stuff. Um, Dan has uh, I'm I'm looking at his his browser here, and he's got two uh, two folders on his his favorites bar. One is labeled nice things, and the other is Disneyland. <laughs> I forget why I labeled that nice things. What's in there? Oh, it's just, oh, we got Heal House. Oh, oh, yeah, that no, is a that nice makes thing. sense. That makes sense. Those are all nice things to have. Um, Mary Ford, electronic equipment, uh, history. Let's see. Uh, wait. What, what a weird way to organize your thing. Uh, they were activated by past sticker paper, paper tokens that would only activate for the operating bank. Back in the 70s, I had my first ATM card. I also had oh. a can of magnetic developing fluid. My card had a ridiculous density. Uh, Diebold, the most trusted brand in elections. Um, cash point. Uh, okay. When uh, was, <laughs> when? I don't think we should trust regular people. First, ATM invented. I'm not going to clarify. Let's see what happens. Uh, 1967. Okay. Use of Barclays and United Kingdom. Another okay. Tory, another Tory name. Could be an um, actual cash machine. Tory name. <laughs> Lots of Tories in this episode. I just love making fun of Tories. It's so fun. <laughs> I enjoy taking the children down to the cash machine and giving, <laughs> giving them a pound. I tried sliding one into a cash machine and they said they would not take it. <laughs> Oh, well, I'll turn them into tapes for they my said, Mellotrons. They said, you must grind the children. And I said, oh, of course. Um, yeah. <laughs> let's see. Okay, let's get through that. Boom, boom, boom. Uh, <laughs> so God knows I'm good. I think it feels like a total throwaway to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we have Memory of a Free Festival, which... Uh, Which Dan has named Memory of Dirty Hippies. <laughs> it's kind of I a hate, classic. I hate this song so much. <laughs> I, uh, I mean, he's playing a harmonium for the just alone for most of it, but I do like that it ends with a whole bunch of people singing a thing and they all get together and they're all happy about the concert they once saw. Um, what I want to know uh, is. Has anyone ever edited this song to include themselves in it? Like a big Bowie oh. fan community oh. thing to oh. include yourselves in the, the sun machine portion. You mean something that we could possibly do? <laughs> That's what I'm in- insinuating. I think that someone should. <laughs> I don't know why I'm the first person to think of this. I hopefully I'm not. I, I let's assume you are and let's go with it because I love that. Um let's see what the slideshow says. Uh so this is based on a an actual festival that uh Bowie and his landlady 
who he was stripping put together. Oh, oh, they had said, a, oh his landlady. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh well. Um yeah, they uh they put together an arts lab and there was basically all the fuckery behind it is kind of what made Bowie really disillusioned with it. Um and so this festival happened. He was super grumpy because this was like right after his dad died. And all accounts of him being there were like, he was a fucking dick. (laughs) (laughs) He was just in, he was just cranky. All he cared about was the money about it. And so I suspect that this is sort of his way of communicating to his pals that like, no, I, I, I was into it. I was just, you know, not able to actually be there, but I don't know. Maybe it's just, there's some, there are some accounts where where it's just like, yeah, he wasn't even actually there. (laughs) (laughs) so uh we also have mark bolin bob bob harris and others in the finale choir of the song and it was recorded multiple times for mass choir effect so those of you at home when you record your part to send in to us (laughs) uh make sure record yourself multiple times uh so overall Uh, so, that's quite the image i know it's it's, it's ziggy stardust in an american spacesuit. um so the, the the album was basically was a commercial success uh it reached number five on the uk albums chart uh but that doesn't matter to me because i'm an american and it hit the number 16 <laughs> on the billboard 200 chart in the u.s not sure of the timing on that. I suspect that that might have been after Ziggy-ish, but uh, who knows? Point is, people were it did it did something. You know what? I'm not gonna even go into the. So basically, I found a video of Tony Visconti, and since we've discovered that Zoom, the way Zoom handles video and audio at the same time, is troublesome. Um, basically, it's it's Visconti listening to the track and saying like okay after it was recorded and after it kind of did what it did i realized that like i was completely wrong and that uh what david was actually doing was talking about alienation and yes there is that cash grabby element of it to an extent but at that point in his career he kind of needed that anyway um but as it says on my slides, bad Tony is coming, and we'll talk Uh-oh. about him later. Oh, bad Tony's very bad. Oh no! Hey Dan, would you like to know uh, what other uh, al- what albums reached the top of uh, the Billboard charts in in the Americas? <laughs> yes, in the year nineteen sixty nine. Yeah, give it to me. <clears throat> so, uh, special um, special runners up prize to Iron Butterflies in Agata Davida. Mm. Uh, which um, peaked at number four, but um, was the best performing album of the entire year, <laughs> which is something. <laughs> well, this is, and I have more on this in the next episode's slide deck, but this was a very strange time for music because the hippie shit was kind of, they were all seeing it coming to an end and eventually it ends in a violent cataclysm at Altamont. Um, Oh gosh. Yeah. Yeah. But but listen, (laughs) listen to all of the albums though. This, this illustrates your point very well. So 
for the first for January into February Beatles the White Album uh, followed by TCB Diana Ross and the Supremes and the Temptations <laughs> back to the Beatles yeah oh. then to Glenn Campbell's Wichita Lineman hell yeah then Blood, Sweat, and Tears by Blood, Sweat, and Tears. Mm-hmm. Um, then back to Wichita Lineman. Then back to Blood, Sweat, and Tears. Then for three months, Hair. Oof. <laughs> the soundtrack to Hair. Uh, then back to Blood, Sweat, and Tears. <laughs> then a month of Johnny Cash at San Quentin. Yeah, okay, why not? Then Blind Faith. The single album by Blind Faith, the uh, Cream slash um, Steve Winwood. Collab. Oh wow! I have yeah. no idea what that is. No, they only put out one album. It was it was Clapton and Ginger Baker and Steve Winwood. Hmm. Um, little little super band there. Uh, then Credence, Green River. Then Abbey Road by the Beatles for two months. Oh God! Damn and we it. end up the year with Led Zeppelin too. <sighs> what a what weird what a time. year <laughs> what what a year to be alive. Um, so any any final summarization submit that's a word sure. Uh, yeah. Any any sort of before we lock this album up forever. Um, it's in a lot of ways it's a folksy sort of album. You can tell it's a product of the time. Um, there's some interesting experimentation here there's also some regular whatever songs as um, as a first time listener of Bowie album style do you have any like going forward any concerns questions comments things you ho- your things you're hoping think things you're hoping to hear more of or hoping to hear less of or um, anything like that i'm worried i'm going to hear less of him on on that 12 string because I really mm. like his acoustic work mm-hmm. uh, but because we get less of that like the guitars in in Ziggy are, are more electric more more riffy yeah. Yeah. Um, which works but but yeah I really like his I really like his acoustic style and um, yeah I wonder yeah I wonder if once he got Mick Ronson on board if he was like Okay, I don't, I don't have to do this anymore. Yeah, yeah, I I kind of get that feeling. Okay, but we'll see. I think I think hunky dory might be rather hunky dory for you. Oh, okay. um, yeah, I I think overall the re-listen for me was. I mean, all of these are going to be more emotional for me, um, given that you know he's he's not around anymore, and my feelings about him and his his place in the world and in my life i mean he is after all my father um uh <laughs> no but you know what i mean like like when you have that connection um one sided as it is it's still important um i think i think tony visconti really Anyone who is listening to this, and if you haven't given the reissue a re-listen, um, or a listen rather, listen, give it a try. Especially there, there are some tracks that really, really, really super benefit from it, 
and others like God knows I'm good, where it's just like, uh, what what can you do? Like, <laughs> there's only so much lipstick to put on this pick. But yeah, um, like a song that you've heard, we've all heard so many times. Like, like Space Oddity sounds so crisp and yeah, yeah. and rich. Um, I I really really like this this remaster. And he doesn't overdo it either. He comes, I think he comes close at times, where it's almost like, uh, are you sure? But I feel like he also makes good choices and considering that he was in the room in the room where it happened some might say <laughs> oh. i love musicals um I, I think i mean he was one of the people who would have been doing that in the first place so he i think he he's, he's in the right place to do that yeah, he's entitled to to give it a little re-listen and and make some changes, especially if he felt like he was inexperienced at the beginning or right. if he was ex- inexperienced at the beginning, you know, it's just like George Lucas. You're allowed to redo your movies. It's fine. I'm not going to touch <laughs> that. Um, so going forward, I promised to talk about Mark Bolin a little bit. And the reason I'm doing this kind of stuff is mainly because I don't know about anyone else, but for me as a baby boy fan, um, I kind of ignored Mark Bolin because it was like, oh, the competition. Um, but I think that he he deserves to get a little bit of recognition. And when we get to it, Brian Ferry also. Uh, again, because at least for me, I thought I'm not going to pay attention to Roxy Music because they were technically the competition. But uh, that was a mistake. So Mark Bolin, uh, if Little Richard was Moses. And Bowie was Jesus. Bolin was John the Baptist in some ways. Um, he was notoriously short and had an almost comi- comical arrogance, according to many accounts, but sort of in a charming Lord Byron, Oscar Wilde sort of way. Um, his voice, uh, Eric, I think you've actually listened to more T-Rex than I have, but how would you describe um, their sound? They, I mean, the band's sound is definitely more more hard rock in a way for the time. It's I haven't listened to a ton of T Rex. Okay, okay. Um, I, I know several songs pretty well, but like several songs have made it into my rotation. But I've never really. I don't think I've sat down and listened to a full album. Yeah, his um, he, his his vocals are very high, almost whispered in some ways, and this weird, cool vibrato that he would do with it. And that would got contra- contrasted with the like the heaviness of the the band, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we kind of went into this his flamboyant style pushed Bowie, Bowie pushed him, and Bowie brought in. He was more of a nerd about it, so he brought in stuff like Kabuki and Mime. And uh, Bolin was like, "Oh, cool, okay, I'll borrow some of that, maybe." <laughs> and so <laughs> uh, it's really a mutual appreciation society. Uh, here's. Mr. Dayford Bowie talking about Mark Bolin. You think? Arrogance oh, no. is the first word that this comes is, to mind. This is David Cassidy. Uh, <laughs> we don't need to get into that. Basically, this is before I figured out that YouTube and Zoom had this issue. Uh, they're they're just kind of. We don't need to get into that. I'm not going to edit this part out. Whatever. Here's Bowie talking about okay. Mark. 
He said, well, look, I got a way that you can earn a few bucks. He said, I was thinking of having my office done by professional painters. If you take, like, half the rate that they would charge, he said, you can come up and do my office. So I ended up doing a whitewash job on the walls of his office with another of his clients, Mark Feld. Of course, it's Mark Boland. So there's me and Mark Boland, like, striping his wall with whitewash, saying, yeah, well, I I'm going to be bigger before you. And <laughs> it's just, looking back on it, it was such a ludicrous situation. It was very funny. Because we knew that it was going to be some time before we, either of us really took off, we were really close buddies at that time. And it was Mark that introduced me to the idea of running around Carnaby Street and King's Road after the shops had closed to go through the dustbins because at that time they had shop-soiled shirts and things and the buttons were missing and whatever, and they just throw them away. I mean, it was sort of excess. And by the end of the night, you could have quite a good wardrobe together for free, you know. And then uh, here's an interview uh, with Piers Morgan, who is not really Piers Morgan, but it's this guy. But meanwhile, let's <laughs> jump the generation gap and greet Mark Bowen. This is Russell Hardy, who I, I, I suspect Russell Hardy is going to be a frequent guest on our show because he is <laughs> such an insufferable piece of shit. <laughs> and I'm, I'm including this just to highlight how obnoxious he is. Uh, I'd like feedback. If I don't get it, then I'm, it's very sad. If I'm a dustman tomorrow, tough. Can you finally tell me what your own uh, attitude to, to say to money is? I mean, you're earning a lot of money and you're, you're, it's, it's rolling in every day. Um, and presumably, and you've, as you've told me already, and as we've already read, you've had a, some kind of training in poverty. Is your mum watching you? Of course. Uh, what, you? <laughs> what kind of um, uh, attitude do you now have to do? Are you enjoying it? Do you sort money, some away? Um, money brings problems in as far as the um, thing with, with pop stars that people don't understand is that uh, pop stars as such is that they, you know, um, you work and you do things, but you also employ 15 people to work around you. And the Stones have got 35, um, and they've never made a tour that made any money. I mean, you don't make that an incredible amount of money. You do it because uh, you live your environment. I'm doing this show tonight because it's... I mean, I, I saw you on Sunday when you were having dinner and it was nice to see you. That's what it's for. Money is... Um, I don't know. I don't think about money. Um, I'm, someone told me the other day that I had a lot of money. And I'm, I never buy anything but records and books. You don't... You don't consider, do you consider sometimes? yourself to be privileged? Because what you're saying now, what you're uttering now, are the, the remarks of a privileged person, actually. Mm. If you don't what, consider... No, you know, again, now you've got to tell me what a privileged person is. Well, anybody who can sit back at, at whatever age you are, which is not all that... You know, someone who is <laughs> doing my job, for example. Someone who's never actually had a, a, an actual job and maybe is, like, interviewing people and cutting them down <laughs> professionally. <laughs> Oh, the kind yeah. of society we largely live in, yeah. and say money doesn't concern me. I have buy a car because I, I need a car, but I don't drive a car. But I have a, a white rails in the garage, or had. Uh, people buy things for me. People look after things for me. Do you not consider that to be a privileged kind of situation? Uh, no one looks after things. You, you know, you're making it sound. No, very people look after your business deals. Well, you must tell me. What do you think um, a rock and roll star is, and should be? That's what. The point is, I think. I mean, you know, what is, and what what, what is privilege? No, I'm not asking you. Know, I'm, I'm asking, asking, I'm asking the question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's totally. He's Piers Morgan. He's he's like proto uh. Piers Morgan. Uh, anyway, that was just for my amusement. Just like this podcast. <laughs> um, oh. And,
is Mark Bolin with uh, Elton John on piano and Ringo Starr for all of you parrot heads out there. Um, so anyway, I guess this is the... Is this the end? This is the sure. end. Yeah. Um, we are recording... I don't have a closing plan. Uh, let's see. Buy uh, War Bonds. And don't forget, if you know Iman, to let her know that there's podcasts out there who would very much like to have the rights to her husband's uh, catalog available to them. Uh, where we can we can hook it up. We can get, I mean, there's some kind of. I'm sure we can maybe work out some sort of a deal with a hotel near Disneyland. Uh, if she has an Instagram, then I think we can make that work. Uh, let's see. Uh, God bless. When, when I talk, I mess up the audio. Oh yeah, do that. <laughs> Here. <laughs> anyway, wow, um, wild man. Right. <laughs> Um, we, we, we will have an Instagram account. Actually, we, we already do have an Instagram account. Uh, Bowie's Planning Pod. We have a website, teenagewildlife.net. <laughs> it's the best inside joke ever. You can email David Bowie at teenagewildlife.net. <laughs> if you'd like to give us feedback on the show, um, for instance, tell us what, what colors we should make the website other than black and white. <laughs> Because that's what it is right now. Yeah. Default WordPress. And if you if you dislike what is currently there enough, maybe you'll volunteer to make the website for us. Mm. <laughs> I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thanks for listening. We love you. Eh, I mean, okay, sure. We love you. Well, uh, yeah. Come on. Bye-bye.